Dear Franny podcast is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest provider of audio entertainment. I myself have over 100 books that I have downloaded from Audible on my phone right now. And if not for Audible, I would not be able to keep up with all of the books and all of the podcasts that I want to hear because life is really, really busy. But with Audible, you can take all of your titles with you on the go. They sync across devices. And I love when you can listen to the author read their own book. So Arlen Hamilton, who was a guest on this podcast, a few months ago, she wrote a book called It's About Damn Time, and I loved listening to the audio version of that book and listening to Arlen's voice tell me her story. So I'm a big, big fan and a longtime subscriber of Audible. And as a listener of this podcast, you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible by visiting audibletrial.com slash dearfranny. Audible trial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash dear franny when you use your trial you can cancel at any time no strings attached and the title that you get and you get two titles if you are an amazon prime member whatever titles you get you get to keep them you download them and you get to keep them forever even if you wind up canceling your membership but i don't think you will because it's that good so visit audibletrial.com slash dear franny Hello and welcome to Dear Franny, the podcast of uncommon conversations about love. I'm your host, Francesca Hoagie. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you being here. So there's lots going on in this world. I was a little off schedule with posting episodes, so I missed last week. I apologize for that. Election Day happened last week here in the U.S., (laughs) you might have heard. It was also my birthday, and so I was trying to give myself a real break last week and just kind of maintain balance and a little bit of peace. So I passed on recording an episode for that reason, but I'm back, and I'm back with a special episode. And let me just give you a quick heads up about the format. So when you're listening, you're like, what's going on here? I have launched a new online community called the True Love Society. It is fantastic. It's filled with incredible women and we're having a wonderful time in there. Feel free to join us, www.thetruelovesociety.com. And we had an expert guest speaker come in because I surveyed my members and I said, what kind of other experts do you want to hear from? Because it's not just about me. And body confidence and body image was one of the big requests that I received from my members. And so I reached out to Tangia Renee Estrada, who is a women's empowerment and confidence coach. And I asked her to come and do a Q&A with the members of the True Love Society. And she generously said yes. And so this is a Zoom. So what you're going to hear today is an interview that I conducted with Tangia over Zoom. And um, so there are some members that ask some questions later on the episode. So just to give you a little context. And then one last thing, sorry for this, but you might hear a little dinging when people are coming in and out of the room, because even though I turned that feature off, Zoom did not cooperate. All right. So without further ado, please enjoy this incredible, inspiring, enlightening, empowering conversation. I definitely learned a lot. And uh, yeah, the feedback from the group was incredible. So I hope that you will enjoy it as well. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. I'm so excited. Tangia, thank you for being here. Our special guest today is Tangia Renee Estrada, and she is a women's empowerment coach, travel and wellness blogger, and a podcast creator. She's been featured in publications such as USA Today, Spark People, and the Identity of She magazine. Tangia focuses her time in helping busy women who feel lost in their lives, overwhelmed by their to-do lists, frustrated with their bodies, to stop feeling powerless and out of control in their bodies and their lives, which all sounds amazing, Um, by helping them build empowered and confident mindsets, sustainable, healthy habits, and create more happiness, Tangia pushes women to dare to be more powerful. She helps them to live the most gorgeous version of their lives, the gorgeous life. She is the creator of the wellness podcast, The Skin You're In, and the USA Today recognized podcast that amplifies the voices of women leaders, innovators, and rebels. You don't already know, but you will after you listen to her podcast. That's what she did. So thank you so much, Tangia Renee, for being here. Definitely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for your time this evening. Hello. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As I mentioned, you know, when I surveyed the group and I said, what kind of experts do you want to hear from? What topic do you want to discuss? And 
body image and confidence was the number one thing that came up. As women in our culture, it is impossible not to have some challenges with our body image. And, you know, I love the work that you do. I love the story, your personal story of how you came to do this work. So I would love for you to share, how did you find your way to doing this empowerment work that you do now? Sort of organically. I mean, it was a long time coming. I struggled with self-esteem and body image my whole life. Really, it started for me when I was around five and just progressed from there. I put myself on my first diet when I was 10 years old. And from the time that I was 10 till my early 30s, I was on a diet constantly and always feeling like a failure. And that just sort of compounded the self-esteem issues that I was experiencing. I started to finally work on myself when I just got to a point that I was done. I was tired. I was sick of myself. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I knew I needed to do something drastic to feel good, to feel powerful. I really wanted to just know what it felt like to feel like a badass for once and to not be the person who would avoid mirrors or avoid social situations because I didn't want to be the biggest person in the room because I couldn't find the perfect slimming outfit. Whatever. I mean, on the outside, people thought I was really confident. And to some extent, that was true. I was confident in certain scenarios. I was really confident in work. I was confident in my academics. You know, I went and got a master's degree. I did all of the things that you were supposed to do to have the quote unquote American dream. And I still wasn't happy. Hated looking in the mirror. I still hated all of these things about myself. The end finally came for me. There was just a moment where I was like, I'm done with this. So my brothers, I come from a family of athletes. And as a kid, I was an athlete as well. Um, But my brothers were bodybuilders. And I had always been interested in the sport of bodybuilding, but I didn't have the confidence to try it. And I was always at their shows, always hanging out with them. Loved the sport. I was just really interested in it. And finally, I went to this last competition that my brother had been in. I literally sat in the back row because I was embarrassed (laughs) because I was literally one of the biggest people in the room. At this time, I was at my most unhealthy. I was the heaviest I'd ever been in my life. And so I literally sat in the very last row in the back of the room where I could be invisible. And I was watching these women athletes compete and I could see the confidence and I wanted to know what it felt like to feel like that. I was sitting there and I was thinking, am I going to do this to myself every year? Every year I'm going to keep feeling like a failure. Every year I'm going to get on whatever the latest diet is and I'm going to do it for two weeks or three weeks or even three months and then I'm going to fail at it. And then that cycle is going to start all over. And I was just having this conversation internally. And I happened to be sitting between one of my other brothers and my husband. My brother just sort of leans over and he goes, you know what? You're way tougher than all these chicks. You've done way more with your life. You've overcome so much more. I have seen you compete. You are tougher than every one of these chicks. And my husband's kind of listening to the conversation. He leans over. He was like, oh yeah, you would rock at this if you decided to do it. And I just let that sit there. It was just sort of sitting in the back of my head. And I was thinking it was sort of just the little push I needed in that moment. But really, I was just tired. I was done. I knew I needed some kind of a drastic change. I just didn't know what it was. I knew I needed some kind of help. I just didn't know what it was. My brother won because they were always winning. (laughs) So the next day, we had this, you know, barbecue celebration. It was the middle of summer. We went to the lake. All of their personal trainer friends and all of their bodybuilder friends are there, men and women. Of course, they're all in like tip top shape. And uh, my brother walks up to me. He introduces me to one of his good friends who was a top personal trainer in the field in Denver. And he was like, listen, you want to do this. This is my friend, Rob. He's going to give you a great deal. He'll train you. I'll coach you. And this is your shot. And I just said, okay. And so we started training and I set an ambitious goal that I was going to compete in six months. Come hell or high water, whether I was ready or not, I was committing to doing the thing that scared me the most. The thing that I'd always said to myself that I wanted to do, but I was too scared to do so. Like in the bikini, like all oiled up with the poses and... (laughs) I wasn't the bikini category. It's a different category, but same concept. (laughs) Wow. I'm not petite enough to compete in the bikini category. I have a 
I'm not petite. I have a thicker build. I'm a little bit taller. I'm built more like Serena Williams. So we set a six-month goal. I worked my butt off, competed, won the competition, and I realized I could do something that I didn't think was possible. But everybody thought that winning was the accomplishment. It wasn't. (laughs) Winning was sort of a bonus. The accomplishment was the transformation I had to go through to get there. And let me just say with a very big caveat, I don't recommend bodybuilding as a way to lean into your wellness or your fitness goals. For me, it was a very specific goal that I had had because I had always been interested in the sport. But bodybuilding as a sport itself, it's about the aesthetic. It's about how you look. You have to achieve that. And I think for most people, it's not healthy. Even for me, to an extent, I really had to learn why I was doing it. It wasn't about achieving the aesthetic. It was about knowing how to feel incredible in my body for the first time in my entire life. And I know countless athletes, men and women, that go into bodybuilding and come out of it with eating disorders or go into it with eating disorders and come out of it in a worse position than they were. So I just have to say that it's not for most people, I think. And I think that's probably why it's a niche sport. And while some people can do really well and come out of it without those issues, they're probably more in the minority than anybody really wants to admit. So I would just say that. But the transformation allowed me to prove something to myself. Here's this thing that I was really scared to do. There was a path for me to start to learn what it meant to feel good in my body. And it didn't end at that six months. It's a lifetime journey that I had to go on. From there, I decided to get certified in personal training, various different certifications in fitness and wellness, just because I wanted to be a better athlete. And people thought that I was a personal trainer. They thought that I worked at the gym because I was working there. I was there so much. So people would come up to me and ask me for advice and I would do it. And then around, you know, I was heavy into competition at this time, trying out all kinds of things. I got into CrossFit, was doing that for a while. And friends were just asking me for help. And around this time, I had left a nonprofit that I had co-founded. The co-founders and I had a huge falling out. I decided I needed to leave. I had left another position with another nonprofit that I had been working with as well. And I was just sort of puttering around, trying to figure out who I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was thinking, I'll go back to graduate school and get another master's degree. And I was just told my husband this. And he looked at me and he was like, you're going to go back to school and get another degree in what? And I was like, I don't know. Like, maybe I'll go to an information, you know, session. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll do like public health this time. I relate to this, by the way, this like, I don't know. And maybe I'll go to back to school and maybe, but then what would I get a degree in? And then, but I don't know what else to do. This is exactly. a very common. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. So he just looked at me and he goes, excuse me. You know, all of that advice that you give away for free every single day, what you come home from the gym and you write meal plans and you write plans, you coach people, all that stuff that you do for free. He was like, charge them. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know anything about that. (laughs) And so a week later, I, you know, registered a business. I started more as a traditional personal trainer. I realized really quickly that women were my niche. I did not enjoy working with men. And then I realized pretty quickly after that, that what women really needed from me was not to be their personal trainer. They needed coaching. They needed help with really understanding how to feel good about themselves, where their ideas about their body image came from. And that came from the clients I was working with. I would meet them at a gym. And I was an independent personal trainer. I didn't work for a gym, but I would meet them at their gym and we would sit in the locker room before our training session and they would just talk to me for a half hour. And then I would say, well, do you want to train today? And they'd be like, oh yeah, I guess we could train. There's 30 minutes left. (laughs) So I would go train them. And then eventually all of them just started to say, how about this? How about you just like give me the training plan? I can do that on my own. And then when we meet, we just talk about all of the stuff that we're talking about. And I was like, okay. I, I don't, like, I didn't get it at first. I was like, okay. Yeah. And I didn't really understand what they wanted to talk about because of they were leading the conversation. I wasn't. So I figured it out from there. I went back and got more certifications around wellness coaching and empowerment coaching and all of that. So I just sort of organically shifted and, and going through that and learning from my clients about what they really need and what was missing for them. I learned more about myself. I learned why I had been on a diet 
for 30 years. Yeah. Can we talk about that, by the way? I love this story and this journey and how you really know that you are on purpose. Like when people are starting to say, no, 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 this thing that you're doing, do more of that. I need that. So I love that you really were listening to everybody telling you that your wisdom was needed as a coach. But you mentioned that your challenges with your body image started at the age of five. What was happening then? What started you on this path so young? Yeah. So it started, it was food became a coping mechanism for me. When I was a baby, really around the age of one years old, my father, my biological father went to prison and my mom was very young. She was 20 when I was born. She was a college student. So overnight, she went from being a married dual parent household with dual incomes and a college student to being a single, soon to be divorced mom on a single income, still trying to get her education. And by the way, <laughs> going through a divorce with this infant married to a man in a high profile court case. I can imagine being 20, 21 probably by that time. That's a lot. That's a lot for a single mom to take on. And there was a lot of support. My family came around me. But I think, you know, this was in the early 80s when I was born. So nobody knew what kind of impact that was going to have on a kid. And my earliest memories are of my biological father are in a prison visiting room. So roughly around the age of four or five is when I have the most vivid memories. And the thing that I took away from that experience is I really hated going there. Not because I didn't want to see my father, but because prison is not an experience that is child-friendly. It's not people-friendly in general. And it's really harsh for a child to go through the process of coming in contact with law enforcement, being searched, having these strangers put their fingers in your hair and in your ears and making you open your mouth and searching your body physically. I mean, imagine when you go to the airport, they sort of pat you down. A prison pat down is way more invasive than that. Even when you're a child, they're sticking their hands in your waistband and you have to take off your shoes and they're putting their hands up your pant legs. It was just too much for me. And I think that the adults around me, while they were doing the best that they can, there was no information about how do you support a child in that situation. And it's really scary to be in a person. <laughs> like the one here in Colorado that we had to go to, it's, they're usually far away. They're out in the sticks somewhere. It's a full day event. You get up really early. You have to get there by a certain time or they won't let you in. You have to wear certain clothes. You have to take off your jewelry. You have to bring your money in a plastic baggie that they can see through. You can only bring one key in. <laughs> you know, there's all of these things. And then you go in and you go through this invasive process of being searched. And the prison here that we had to get on a bus, like you get searched and you get on a bus and they take you to another building and then you get searched again. It was just too much. That's traumatic. I can only imagine how traumatic that is as a five-year-old child to have to right. experience. And, yeah. And so I think what happens is we would go into the visiting room finally after you've been there for a couple of hours already going through this process. And there's all these vending machines. And the way that the adults around me kind of placated me, I think out of guilt. Anything I wanted to eat out of the vending machine was mine. We're talking full-size candy bars. My mom would never in any other situation allow me to have three full-size candy bars in a day. Like That would never happen. You know, as many sodas as I can drink, all of the candy as I can eat. And I wasn't there with my mom because they were already divorced. So it was like usually an uncle or something like that. And I think mostly out of guilt, they were just like, yeah, let her have whatever she wants. And for me, that was a distraction. It was easy as a child to be like candy bars, chips, cookies, soda. That distracted me from what was happening around me. And so that's where the dependency on food started. And then on top of that, like, <laughs> you know, I grew up in a predominantly white community. And here I am, this, you know, mixed child who is taller than the other little girls. I don't have the same body type as them. I'm just not petite. I don't have blonde hair and blue eyes. So there was a lot of understanding for me as a child that I looked different than the other girls. And I was sort of a chubby kid. Sometimes kids are just chubby, it's normal. And then you have the backdrop of growing up in the late 80s through the 90s when diets are really the thing now. 
for women. So I grew up in this atmosphere where all of the women in my family were always on a diet. They were always talking about their next diet. They were always having these diet competitions with each other. Like they would put money into a pot and whoever lost the most weight would win the money. Wow. (laughs) Competitive sport. Wow. That's intense. It was. Yeah. I remember the juicing craze of the early 90s. Like everybody was just drinking juice and not eating any actual food. Diet pills, like I remember it all because it was just ever present. And it wasn't that anybody in my life was telling me to lose weight or telling me that I was too big or needed to change my appearance and someone no one ever did. But it was internalized. I was watching the women around me be this way. And then we have this dynamic of already at a very young age, learning that food could be a coping skill for me, a way of numbing out. And so I carried that behavior well into adulthood. And I didn't understand that there was a healthier way for me, that I could enjoy food, but not have it be the thing that also made me hate myself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk more about that because I know that Everybody who's listening to this, (laughs) everyone who's here tonight, I see some nodding, can relate to so much of what you're saying. Even though you had this very specific experience growing up, still in terms of internalizing those messages, even if somebody isn't deliberately, you know, intentionally directly saying lose weight or you need to look this way, we get the message, right? We get this message from so many places and certainly from the adults in our lives and their relationships with their bodies and with food. You know, now that you've had this journey, you've been through so much, you've been through it all, right? What's your advice for people to start to understand our relationship with our bodies and kind of start to heal whatever, you know, trauma happened or whatever conditioning that we absorb that made us think that my body is wrong and I have to fix it. So like, what's your advice for how to start to reprogram that old thinking? Well, I think the first thing that we need to be talking more about and helping people understand, especially women, is that the ideas you have about what a woman's body are supposed to look like didn't come from you. It came from somewhere else. You know, like for me, it just came from the culture. It was just a culture. It was nobody was talking to me about women's bodies. You might also find that nobody was talking to you about what a woman's body should look like. Maybe they were. Maybe you were getting teased. But the idea of what your body's supposed to look like, you weren't born with that. You were born into a body and you were fine. It's not your idea. And it's not what you probably intrinsically believe. But what we have to start with, if you really want to undo what you've been told, what you've been taught, how you've been socialized to think about how a woman's body is supposed to look, then you have to interrogate where the idea came from. If you're walking around in your body every day and you're thinking, I'm so fat. If you're like me, like you have to avoid the mirror and you can't go out with your friends because you don't have the perfect slimming outfit to make you sort of fit, then we have to start interrogating the idea of where did that start? Because you didn't invent it. Yeah. Once we start to understand that it's really not yours, it's easier to start to let go of. It's really easier to look at your body and start to appreciate it for what it is. Doesn't mean that you're not on some kind of a wellness or fitness journey. Like you want to change your body. I live by a hard and fast rule. It's your body. It's your rules. You get to decide that. But the reason why you're doing it, I would argue is more important than how you're doing it. The why is the driver behind everything. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I talk to my clients about this too, when they'll say, oh, well, you know, I want to lose X amount of weight. And I always say, okay, well, why? You know, just why? No judgment how much weight anybody wants to lose or not, but I always do want them to really be clear on why and an attachment to a particular number and what that number represents and what they think is going to be different about their lives once they lose, you know, X number of pounds, you know, just because otherwise we're just, we're not setting ourselves up to win, right? You're setting yourself up to just participate in this endless cycle where you always need improvement and you're never quite good enough. So, you know, what do you see in terms of, I want to talk a little bit about dating and I know that you're married and you were married before you went on this journey of really starting to accept and love your body and change your relationship with it. And And how did that play into dating? Because I know a lot of women who they don't even want to date until they feel like I I want my body to look a certain way or be in a certain place before I start dating. What is your advice for that, for dealing with that? It doesn't matter if it's dating 
or a promotion you want to go after at work or the business that you want to start. If you intrinsically do not believe in your self-worth, you're never going to start the thing. And it's not about confidence. There's a distinction. Now they can work in tandem. They can be hand in glove with each other, but they're not the same thing. And oftentimes I see women saying, well, I just need to build my confidence a little bit and I need to lose weight or I need to fit this standard. I need to look this way because that's what makes me confident. And what I think we fail to understand is because first of all, we're not really taught in any meaningful way what it means to, first of all, take care of our bodies and second of all, feel good in our bodies. So we think confidence is the same thing as self-worth and it's not. Yeah. Confidence to me, the way that I like to describe it, it's a skill. Confidence is something that you gain by doing. Like, I didn't think I could be a bodybuilder, and then I learned to be a bodybuilder, and now I'm confident in that sport. I didn't think I could run a 5K, but then I trained to do one, and I completed it, and now I know I can do that thing. I didn't think I would be good at this job, but then I tried it, and I was actually pretty good at it, and now I'm confident. You can be confident at the same time as not intrinsically believing in your self-worth. And if you are holding yourself back and saying, I can't do this until that, that's usually not a confidence issue. That's a self-worth problem. Yes, yes. So it doesn't matter if it's dating. It's really, why do you feel like you're not worthy of a date now? So there's so much of what you said that I just think is, yeah, I mean, I, I just completely agree. And I think it's so important. First of all, everything is about self-worth. <laughs> I agree. And I definitely would love to hear your advice specifically because they all hear me, but I would love for you to talk about that process of how do you start to feel more worthy, behave more worthy, you know, but also I think that what you were saying about how, you know, no one ever teaches us, right, how to feel good about our bodies, how to take care of our bodies, because, you know, we're so focused on the aesthetic, right? Like it's all about how your body looks and how your body is received by other people versus what it feels like to actually be you, right? Because it can feel great to be you no matter what size you are, if you're able to just actually sit with your body and not judge it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I love that you said that. So I would love to hear if you have more advice about how to start to tap in and to actually feel your body rather than judging it and looking at it and criticizing mm -hmm. it that way. So self-worth in general, and also, you know, more about how to start to build this better relationship with your body, I would love to hear. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is really confusing that we're not taught about our bodies is just how to be connected to our body. The problem is our culture is so compartmentalized. Whatever, like your teacher over here, and like you're a mom, they sometimes almost are in different areas of our brain completely. And we're constantly like switching on and switching off into this mode and that mode. The thing about your body is you are all of those things in real time, every single day in this body right now. The body keeps an accurate record. So however you're feeling in all of those roles, whatever you're thinking in all of those roles, whatever you're saying to yourself, all of those roles, your body is experiencing in real time. Now mentally, you might not be processing it, but it's there. And so one of the simplest ways you can start out, and it sounds hokey, but honestly, one of the simplest things you can do to start right now learning how to have a deeper connection with your body is simply do a body scan, pause, and ask yourself, how do I feel? And start either at your toes or at the top, scan down, noticing how my body is feeling in that moment. And usually what happens is I get to be, have a little headache that I didn't realize that I had. I might get down to my jaw and realize that my jaw muscles are tight, almost like I'm grinding my teeth. I might realize my shoulders are way up by my ear. And these are things that we're going through our day and because we're not clicked in to how our body is feeling, we don't notice it. We just know that we get to the end of the day and we're exhausted and we don't feel good. Mm -hmm. And then we can't sleep and then we get up the next day and it's a repeat of the next day. Mm -hmm. Because we're so you know, compartmentalized, we're so disconnected from how our body feels in the moment. But being able to tap into how your body feels in the moment can tell you a lot about where you are, what your emotional state is, what you've been saying to yourself, how you've been treating yourself, but you have to pause and actually perform the act of scanning and seeing, how do I feel right now? Yeah, I love this. The body scan is so powerful because it really does, forces you to think about the feeling and mm -hmm. not about the aesthetics and not about, you know, that outer judgment. And I always, the jaw, oh, that's always the place for me. <laughs> when I pay attention and I start to like take a few breaths and that's where all of my attention goes, is right to my jaw. The power of the body scan, you know, and really bringing that awareness. In terms of self-worth, right? And I really do love, and I'm seeing, you know, actually my sister in the chat is really appreciating the distinction between confidence and self-worth. And what is your advice for how to start to feel more worthy? 
So I would say, first of all, there's a multitude of things. And so, you know, it's different strokes for different strokes. For some people, it's therapy. For some people, it's coaching. For me, a lot of that had to do with movement, like getting active in my body. And I just say that to say the path to healing is as unique as the person. And so whatever you need to do to heal your sense of self-worth and who you are, it's going to look different. It's going to look different for every single person here. I do say one of the things, a great starting point, I think, is leaning into your wellness not in like a fitness way generally. I mean, you can if you want to, if like you feel compelled to go do some fitness things, by all means, go do that experiment, have a great time. Starting with what is gonna make me feel good right now? And it'll evolve as you evolve. For me, when I first started, it actually, it wasn't bodybuilding, the thing that made me feel good because I hadn't been moving my body for a long time. So being in the gym was, I was sore. My whole body hurt. But leaning into my wellness and asking myself, what? is gonna make me feel good right now. And at that point it was basic, it was taking a hot bath. And it was, what that did is it, it showed me that taking time for myself with intention and saying, I'm doing this for me so that I can feel good, started to slowly and unconsciously, I think, reinforce that I was worth the effort. So I would come out of that bath and I would feel relaxed, I felt better. I wasn't as sore. I slept better. I was more equipped to take on the next day. I was more equipped to, you know, be on this journey that I had put myself on. And so it started really small like that. Just asking myself, what do I need to feel good? For a while, the bubble bath was the only thing, really. And Mm. then other things started to catch up. I love this. This is actually, this is exactly what I talk about when I talk about, well, I talk about self-love a lot and self-love having these different elements, self-compassion, self-worth, self-validation, self-care, and self-gratitude. And when it comes to self-care, exactly what you're saying, I 100% agree with, and this is what I preach. It's really being strategic about how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel my body? How do I want to feel when I wake up in the morning? How do I want to feel when I go on a date, right? How do I want to feel on my love journey? And then the second part of the question is, okay, what action or actions can I take right now to support myself in feeling that way? And that is just asking that question, first of all, is an act of love towards yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You can take the time to ask it. And then the more that you can actually follow through with whatever little baby steps, it absolutely does help to deepen those feelings of love towards yourself. I really love that. We have a few questions. I'm turning 50 next March and finding with ageism in our society that I struggle more with my confidence and not looking as youthful as I once did. I find that my pool of potentially interested men is shrinking rapidly because of my age. I would like to date someone roughly my age, and it seems like many men may want to date women 10 years or junior. I'm okay with dating a man a bit older or younger. So friends have said I should lie about my age on dating apps. No, no lying. (laughs) All these things. I'm like, well, why, why do we know that you're pool is shrinking. Is it really shrinking? Anyway, so the question is, how do I continue to love myself and embrace the changes associated with getting older in a society where older women are deemed less attractive and less valued? So first of all, you know this, but I'm going to say it. Aging is literally the most natural thing in the world. (laughs) We are designed for it. This is what happens to us all. (laughs) And so there's a couple of things I think at what I'm hearing sound like they're at play here. There's the confidence thing. And I'll remind you that confidence is an action, right? So it's something that you gain by doing. So if you're concerned that you're just not feeling confident in in this moment or in this age, then I would start asking yourself, what makes you feel confident? When do I feel my most confident? Write a quick bullet point list of whatever pops into your mind and pick something that feels relevant to you, that feels authentic to you, that feels like you can do it right now and do more of that. And it's different for everybody. Something that makes me feel confident if I'm talking about myself is I have very curly hair, I have long, very thick curly hair. If my curls look popping, I don't care if I am in like the jankiest pair of sweatpants, I am like confident. I'm like, girl, look. Look at these curls. Today, you know, anybody that has curly hair knows it. Curly hair can be real disrespectful. My hair was being real disrespectful today, so it's in a bun. But, you know, it's little things like that. It's like, what actually makes me feel confident? If my curls are popping, I feel confident. And so if I'm in a moment where I'm just not feeling confident, 
and I need to change that, then I need to go do something. I need to go do something with my hair. I agree so much with it. It's like, it's not that confidence is not the ultimate goal. I mean, right, like confidence is great, like, you know, but it's not the ultimate thing, but it is a starting point. And it's definitely something that you can start to at least like, well, I may not know exactly how to love myself yet, or I may not know how to fully embrace my body yet, but at least I know that I can do this little thing that's going to help me to feel a little bit more confident. So it's a step on the path. Right. Like I that. think that's a really powerful move, even when it's a small thing, because when you feel confident in yourself, in your body, it changes the energy. So the energy you put out is different. And when you walk into a room, people notice it. So I would start with just what does it actually mean for you to feel confident right now? And then you have this other thing at play is that what society said. And at a certain point, you just got to decide that it doesn't matter. And I know that it's to prioritize your own self-worth ahead of whatever society is right now saying what's what, then it's not going to matter. But you have to really do the work of intentionally leaning into what it means for you to show up powerfully as yourself. And maybe that means starting with the physical appearance, like my hair. But it also means for me that I need to work out, not so that I look a certain way, powerfulness. Yeah. Of boldness, of the ability to walk in a room and own it. Mm -hmm. Give yourself mm -hmm. that. But you have to have an actual conversation with yourself. You have to start to address your inner critic. You know, why is it when it comes to dating, this voice is coming into your head and telling you that you can't, mm -hmm. I don't know if the dating Agreed. pool shrinks. Agreed. I'm not 50. I'm not single yeah. anymore, yeah. right? So I don't know. Right. It might be perceived and it might, maybe the volume has shrunk, but doesn't mean the quality has. It doesn't take away the fact that the person or the people that you could potentially be great partners with are not still there, you know? So I totally hear you. You know, I wonder, I think that for me, one big thing like you, I haven't had, thankfully, I haven't necessarily done too much of the diet thing in my life. I haven't, you know, I've had my body image issues, but I haven't gone so crazy with that. Trust me, I have lots of other things that actually don't even, a lot of my body image issues haven't had anything to do with mm -hmm. weight, actually, which is another, which is another thing, because it has to do with the fact that I am 5'11", and I have extremely long arms, and I have extremely long, I have like disproportionate, like actually, my sister is on this call, so she can verify this, but actually, <laughs> they suspected that I had this genetic disorder, because I have such disproportionately long arms and legs, so I had that, I've got big feet, I've got big hands, so I always had this, like all these other things, that like the weight was almost like the back burner. <laughs> but as I went through this process of like, okay, how do I start to become more confident? Because like you, I was just like, this just sucks. Like I'm just over not liking myself. I'm just over not feeling good in my body. I'm just older over being like, so just self-conscious. Like people are going to look at me and be like, oh, look at that weird long legged, long limbed girl or whatever. <laughs> For me, one really basic step that I took was that I just looked at all the clothes in my closet and anything that I didn't feel good in, I got rid of. Like that was so much, there were so many clothes that I had that I was just like, I just, when I put it on, I actually don't feel good. <laughs> you know, like it's too big or it's too small or I'm always pulling. And just that, and just making this commitment to like, I don't care. And I actually just had this conversation with a friend of mine because she was saying like, oh, you should wear, you know, she had this opinion about these colors that I should wear that are colors that I don't normally wear. And she's like, well, they would look so good on you. And I'm like, well, as much as I appreciate that, I actually don't wear clothes because I think they look good on me. I actually don't care. Something might look good, but if it doesn't feel good, then I'm not interested in it. I think that that was a really big step for me just to start to, again, pay attention to how something feels versus how it looks. Mm -hmm. that helps me a lot with, with my confidence. Yeah, um, I think that's a key step in building your confidence and really tapping into your own self-worth. And it's not just like for you, it was clothes, right? But, you know, there's this saying, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything, right? Potentially, if you have an issue of your life where you are buying, surrounding yourself with clothes that don't feel good to you, then it's not unreasonable to think that you might also be surrounding yourself with people that don't make you feel good or that you might be surrounding yourself with food that doesn't make you feel good. You might be surrounding yourself with content. These are patterns. These are behaviors that we have learned over time and the way we behave in one way of our life, whether we admit it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, we are doing it somewhere else. It plays Absolutely. out. And when you start to deal with yourself, when mm -hmm. you start to look at yourself and say, 
why do I think this? Where did this come from? When you really start to interrogate those ideas and those thoughts and the things that your critic says, to, and you couple that with, you balance that with saying, well, what actually feels good? Yeah. What actually lights me up? What actually makes me feel like the me I'm supposed to be or the me that I want to be? You start to see these patterns emerging. For me, it was yeah. food, right? So, so like I was the binger in all areas of my life. I, there, was, there was no conversation with me from anybody about eating disorders, right? But that's what was happening. But as I started to, I went through my own process and I learned about myself that I realized that I was binging and purging in all the areas of my life. I was doing it with relationships. I was doing it with sex. I just wasn't aware. I didn't have the self-awareness. Yeah. What you're saying is so powerful because for me, I actually had a breakthrough when I realized that, like I said, I wasn't really a diet person so much. So I didn't realize my food issues until a year ago. Actually, I don't think I fully understood the extent of my food issues until this year. And I just turned 46 years old. So like, this is, you know, this is a process. And I realized that for me, I, there was a parallel between my relationship with money and my relationship with food. Like you, I was a binger. I was a binge eater and I was a binge spender. And it was yeah. like this compulsive thing. When I realized that, I was like, yeah, the times of my life where I felt the most out of control in one area, it would then translate into now I got to spend every dime I have. And I'm, you know, I'm a big binger. I can really, and I think this is another thing, you know, talk about like family and, you know, how you grow up. And I, might, I see my sister, like we were a family, we were all kind of bingers right? Um, that was kind of like how, that was a bit of our relationship with food and it was to celebrate and, you know, you get ice cream because you're happy and like, or you're sad and that'll make you happy. And, you know, and the same thing with money. It's like, well, you know, spend and buy something and treat yourself and all of that. And anyway, I could talk about that all day, but I want to move on because people have questions. I have another question for you that was submitted ahead of time. And this one is actually interesting because it's not actually about the asker, but she's asking, how can I support a friend who has has struggled with her body image her whole life. In the past few years, she's gone to serious extremes with strict dieting and over-exercising to the point of injuring herself. I try to remind her that she is beautiful and is deserving of love and rest, but not sure if these are the right words. How can I be a good friend to her during this hard period in her life? Yeah, I mean, what's frustrating about that is that until she's ready to change, whatever in, in her life feels like it's not working, there's not a lot that you can do. It's not altogether different from an alcoholic. Like you can't make them go to rehab. They got to choose it for themselves. Whatever her journey is to getting there, as a friend, you just try to be supportive as possible, not indulging in whatever the thing is that's harming her, right? So if your friend was an alcoholic, I would say, don't go out drinking with your friend. Don't give her money to buy alcohol, right? So whatever this is, it's the same thing. It's complicated because we're talking about food and she's rewarded socially for restricting. She'll be viewed as good because she's disciplined with her food and her exercise, right? That's the really hard part to get past. For you as a friend, you can say that you're concerned. You can tell her why you're concerned. You can tell her what you've observed. But beyond that, other than just not trying to push her to make a decision and saying, I'm concerned about this, and I do think that you're beautiful. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what she thinks. She tells herself. I I think that you're probably doing the best that you can. So like if she's telling you, if you got, say you guys go shopping and she's doing this, I'm too fat thing, or I'm too, but like whatever the thing is, like I can't wear that. I'm not pretty enough. I'm too fat. I'm too whatever. You can shut that down. Don't like when you talk to yourself that way. I think it's dangerous and I think it's toxic. And I don't want to hear you talk that way about yourself. I've told you, I think that you're beautiful. I'm not saying that just to make you feel good. I'm saying it because it's the truth. And I hope that you'll learn to be nicer to yourself. Yeah. But that's a clue to her. She might not accept it in the beginning, but it's planting a seed that maybe there's something off with this behavior that I'm doing. And it might take a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's excellent advice. And yeah, I mean, everybody's on their own journey. So you do what you can to support and uh, help your friends to see a different part of themselves. But ultimately it's up to everyone. Okay, well, I know we have at least one person in the, who's here on the Zoom who wants to ask a question. Callie, do you want to go ahead and unmute yourself? Yes. First, hi, Franny. Thank you, Tangia. So last year, I know where all my bad image issues stem from. Um, I've been in therapy off and on for a really long time, consistently for this past year. Last year, when I had to say goodbye to my dog because he had cancer, my way of coping was to figure out what I could control, and that was my body. And so I started exercising 
And because I had put on a lot of weight from the depression of him being sick and dying. And so I blew out both my rotator cuffs. Mm. And I'm cry now. I can't exercise makes me feel good mentally because of the pain that it causes. It's not an activity that I can participate in the way that I mm-hmm. normally would because it's caused depression. It's caused increased weight gain. I'll go out to do a thing and within 15 minutes of being on that walk, mm-hmm. my shoulder is throbbing. Yeah. No, I hear you. I've, I've injured. I'm an athlete and I hate when I get taken out of the gym. It's, it's tough and you can still move your body. And while Maybe you can't do that right now at the level you want to do that. Your body is so capable of many other things. So if you can lean into what your body can do now with intention and realize that I am moving now because it feels good to me, because it'll help me heal, because it takes me out of my house, whatever the reasons are, there's something biological that happens in your body when you move those happy endorsements start to get released from your brain. So if you can focus on what your body can do and move because movement makes you feel good, you can start to heal and it's going to help you heal more quickly because you're, you're starting to release some of the anger, the disappointment, the stress, the fear, just by moving. You can let yourself have the thing that makes you feel good, even if it doesn't look the way you want it to look. I'm a lot like you. It does make me feel good. I can't do that right now because I'm pregnant, so oh. high risk. And because of COVID, my doctor won't let me go to the gym and I've had a, a lot of issues. So I've, I've had to be very still, but I'm, I can get up and I can go for a walk. You can do that. Yeah, um, first of all, Callie, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so, so sorry. And um, we're all sending you a lot of love right now. And Tangia, congratulations. <laughs> this is incredible news. <laughs> It really is. And I really echo what you said in terms of, because I think, you know, whether it's an injury, whether it's weight gain, whether it's getting older and your body just can't do all of the things that it used to be able to do, it's the most important thing is that we be very gentle with ourselves and we not hold ourselves to a standard of, I should be able to do what I was able to do five years ago, 10 years ago, or before this injury, because you can't do that right now, right? And so that negative self-talk and that judgment that you should be able to, it's really unproductive because you just can't. And it's going to now create, you know, a whole other set of problems by that, you know, that, that habit of beating yourself up. So I really, really encourage you and everything Tangia said was just so, I agree. And then just really, really be gentle with yourself. And walking is so powerful. So as long as we can, we do what we can. <laughs> All the exercise I, I'm doing these days, and it's, it's you know, different than what I'm used to doing at other times in my life. But it's really, it's important to just do what we can to be gentle. And uh, my sister who is sharing in the chat right now that she got hit by a car crossing the street in New York City a few years ago. And as a result of that, she also had a lot of injuries. The pain that she was in, she actually, she fractured her back. Even walking was hard for her. But Jonna, if you have any advice for Callie, if you want to come off mute and please feel free. Kelly, I'm really sorry about one, about the loss of your pet, because I know how heartbreaking that is. And I can empathize with your pain that you can't do those simple things anymore. For me, I mean, I didn't commit to exercise regularly like you have done, but I do enjoy certain parts of exercise, dance or what have you. And to not be able to dance or just go for a walk without being in excruciating pain and having a doctor say to you, it's just going to take time is really, it's very devastating because you do not think that you would never not be able to do something as simple as walking without pain. But I did try to find what did help and, you know, stretching, stretching out my heels that were always in pain helped, you know, just doing the little things that I could do to feel like I had some control. And it, you know, it will get better in time. It may not be what it was, but you may find strength in other ways in your body too. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Kelly, I would just add that, I mean, it's a battle. It's all hard and it all feels bad. The thing to try to remember at this stage is that the body needs different things at different times. And right now your body just needs something different. And so focusing and leaning into figuring out what do I need right now? It's the same conversation we were having earlier about what makes me feel good right now and letting that be the guide. I realize that you're in pain and that's a whole other thing, right? That you have to contend with. But if your body needs healing and rest right now, then that's what it needs. And it's about 
finding what you need right now to feel the best that you can. The understanding is it's going to take time. It is. It's, it's going to heal. All of our bodies go through these phases, whether or not that there's an injury where we fluctuate over time and we don't want that to happen. We want to be in a state of stasis. Like you achieve something and you want to be there. You don't want it to change. Accepting that that change is going to happen probably at a time when we don't want to happen it's really hard. And, and so I'm, I'm not going to pretend that it's easy to start to try to shift in your brain. What does it mean to give my body what it needs right now? Because it's different than what you've been used to. Part of what you're dealing with is just the toughness of accepting the change. Yes. Yes. We get a lot of the suffering that we experience is because of our inability to accept the reality of the situation right now and judging ourselves because we think that the situation should be different. It's just sending a lot of love, Callie, sending a lot of love. Does anybody else have any questions? Oh, yes, nah. I'm struggling with, I got back on online dating and it's been a struggle. I'm not so comfortable in taking pictures of myself now. Inability to grapple with the change that I have had in my body. It's hard for me to take pictures and it's and I'm only posting kind of old photos and I let's see, I diagnosed the problem. But I'm I'm just I guess I'm just wondering like if anyone if you have encouragement about that or other strategies to mitigate that experience. Yeah, so that's a, a tough thing. So I used to be the person that avoided mirrors. Like forget pictures. Like I wouldn't stand in a mirror. I could avoid it somehow. It's a process. It's not something that's gonna change overnight. A lot of work that needs to be done around addressing your inner critic and, and learning to talk back to your inner critic because that's the thing that's stopping you, right? Is you want to date, you want to post a picture probably on an online site, and then your critic kicks in and it's like, don't do that. Right. And so there's, I can't say enough about really interrogating your inner critic and saying, well, what do I have to gain by staying in this place where I won't post the picture or I won't do the thing? Right. Because the inner critic's job is to keep you in a, in a certain zone, in a certain comfort zone. Any work you can do around that. I think the other thing that I find helpful again and again is going back to the concept that we discussed earlier, that if we're talking about, I need to have the confidence to post a picture, it's putting yourself in a position of feeling confident and that's an action. So what are the actions that you can take for yourself right now to feel confident exactly where you are? Again, that's a different thing than self-worth. Right? We're not talking about how you intrinsically feel about yourself. We're talking about, are you confident in the moment? And if posting the picture is going to help you get there, then what are the actions you need to take to post the picture? Do you need to get your hair did? Do you need to put on some makeup? Do you need to like wait until the lighting is good in your place so that you can open the window and get the good natural light. You know, these are little actions that you can take to just feel confident in the moment exactly as you are without like going through the rigmarole of like, I need to lose weight. I need to run a 5k. I need to do all this and that. It's what are the actions that help you get to that place right now as a starting point. Now, none of that is going to solve a self-worth issue. None of that is going to solve an inner critic that you need to start dealing with. But if posting the picture is important to you right now, that'll help you get there. It definitely resonates. I, I also wanted to say, in a lot of ways, I'm, I struggle with like an insecurity about my hair. And so sometimes, like what you said about like, do little things like, I do feel better when I you know, get my hair done or put on makeup and stuff. But I'm always kind of looking at myself and I, and I guess this is the pushback of the self-critic is like, well, that's not really your hair and your hair can't grow that long or your hair will never be that straight. I don't know. These are all the things that are coming through my head and it's just like, and I guess I'm still like afraid, like I'm afraid to even wear wigs too much because it's like, well, if you meet a guy you really like, I know many women do this. And then you get to that point of like, do you need to take it off? you know, in bed. Anyway, it's, uh, sorry, I'm going on and on, but I'm yeah. just saying my mind goes in all these, this long narrative of like fear. It's just a downward spiral that you're getting on. Exactly. That started with your inner critic. Yeah. So, you're, so it, it, there's some work you need to do around learning how to shut down your inner critic. For whatever reason, in, in this area, it's particularly loud for you. 
that means it, it needs addressing, it's going to keep coming up until you deal with it. And it's not going to matter if you buy the most expensive wig, if you get a weave, or if you lose weight, none of that stuff is going to matter because you have to deal with this critical voice. For whatever reason, it lands on your hair, right? For me, it lands on my weight. And so there's this, you got to learn how to talk back to it. And I really do recommend, and this is something that I teach to, to my own clients, is giving it a persona and actually talking back to it, like in your head. I gave my inner critic a name. My girl, her name is Felicia. She is an evil bitch and I hate her. <laughs> but she starts talking and in my mind, she sounds like, does everybody remember the movie Friday? <laughs> Because yes. I came out when I was in high school. Of so course. she sounds like Felicia walking up all ratchet and dirty, <laughs> asking for money. And I don't have time for her. <laughs> so I'm like, no, no, Felicia. No. Literally, Literally by Felicia. I, I get it. I love it. It's and it amazing. feels hokey, right? But nobody's going to know that you gave your inner critic a name like I did unless you tell them. But it's a way of being able to see that it's not you. Yeah. Yes, that's the power of it, is understanding that that voice, that critical voice, is not actually right. you. It's not actually the truth. It's not, that's why it feels bad, right? That's why you can, you can look at that thought and you can observe it, because it's not who you are. It's just a thought that you're thinking, right? And I think everything that Tangia is saying right now is so powerful and so important. And it's really understanding like where you are right now, not like, yeah, this is going to be uncomfortable for you right now. There is a leap of faith that you're going to have to take to push yourself to, because, and I understand this because I, you know, look, there was a time where I thought that guys didn't like me. And I was like, well, I want this to not be true. And maybe it's not true. And if I'm ever going to figure that out, I'm going to have to actually put myself in a position to figure that out. And then once you take the action, because right now it's like Tanji was saying, it's the, it's the fear spiral. It's just, well, if you address one thing, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Like <laughs> you take care of this then something else is going to pop up to take its place, which is why this is understanding that this is a deeper issue about starting to really learn to love yourself more and feel worthy is what's really, what's really going on here. Mm -hmm. But on the way to doing that, taking the action, even though it feels uncomfortable, is an incredibly important part of this because the feelings are, of confidence aren't going to come just by inaction. They're only going to come by you actually doing that thing that's hard and putting yourself out there and sitting with the discomfort of that and then realizing, oh, actually, they're, you know, this story that I've been telling myself that I'm not attractive enough, that's actually going on. Because that's what I, I was like, oh, that's not what's going on. The issue is not that I'm not attractive enough, right? I'm plenty attractive. They're plenty, everyone is plenty attractive. There is no woman on this planet. I don't care what size you are. Google plus size wedding dress if you think that you're too big for love. Like do whatever. <laughs> like I promise you there is no woman on this earth who's so unattractive. There is not someone and a lot of someones who are, would totally be down for you. Beauty is so, so subjective. You can take the person who you think is the most beautiful, has the greatest hair, has the best body, has the whatever. And I promise you there are plenty of people who will look at her and criticize her. It's completely subjective. So my advice for everyone is to start to just consider the possibility. Like what would happen if you were willing or able to make yourself your own standard of beauty? And I know that's a big leap. <laughs> it's not an overnight thing, but even to consider that possibility is really powerful. Just imagine what it would feel like to just like think you were the shit. I mean, I do. I'm not in the best shape I've ever been in. I have not picked up a weight in two months because doctor's orders, right? So if I just take how my body looks now compared to how it looks in my normal life when I don't have any of these restrictions, it's easy to be in the spiral. It's a habit that I've been cultivating starting when I was five, right? But at a certain point, you have to decide that that's not good enough for you anymore. You just have to decide it. And when you make a decision, I really believe that the universe starts to move to make those things happen. And when I made a decision that wasn't good enough for me anymore, that I was not going to talk to myself like this, that I was going to figure it out. I was going to figure out what it meant to actually feel good about me. Things just started coming together. Yes. I learned it. 
not to say that it was easy. It wasn't. There were a lot of tears. That's really important. You learned it. You taught yourself how to love yourself step by step. It's a decision that you have to make at a certain point. And I see it as, you know, it's like if you decided you were going to go back to school, like I'm finally get that law degree that I've been saying I wanted to get. You make that decision and you do it. You had to make the decision first in yourself. You had to say, I am doing this. I actually, today in my neighborhood, I was walking and, and there was a mural and it was a Muhammad Ali quote, which I'm probably going to misquote, but basically he said that I'm the greatest before I knew that I was. And I really loved that because it really is a decision to decide like, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get to a place where I look in the mirror and I'm like, you are dope and I love you. <laughs> and I'm not there yet, <laughs> but I, that's where I want to be. And making that decision is so powerful. It really is life-changing. It changes your entire energy. It changes the way you move through the world. Here's a quick story just to give you an example of this. So last week, I decided to walk down to the coffee shop. There's a Starbucks about a half mile from my front door. And it was a nice morning. I was like, I'm gonna walk down there. I can't drink coffee because the smell of coffee makes me nauseous now, but I can go get like a tea. I was like, I'm gonna go get me a tea this morning because I miss coffee. <laughs> I need something with a little caffeine in it. So I walked down there and on the way there, I caught myself thinking, oh my God, what are people gonna think about you? Like, you're starting to bust out of your clothes now. Your leggings are fitting a little tight around your waist. You know, I used to run this path and here I am 15 pounds heavier, right? I caught, it happens insidiously. It happens unconsciously. Caught myself having that thought. And I was like, no, <laughs> here's what we're not going to do today. <laughs> we're not going to get not in this spiral. Not today, Felicia. <laughs> uh, not today. I was talking back, doing my work, practicing, <laughs> talking back to my inner critic. We are not doing this today. First of all, I'm pregnant. And second of all, so what? The size of my ass ain't nobody's business but my own. And so I walked on, I get my tea and I'm walking back and I'm repeating to myself, you know what? I don't care. Girl, you're fine. You look good. Girls are on point today. <laughs> I have my cool sunglasses on. I was like, no, I am the <laughs> shit. Doesn't matter how pregnant I am. I'm always going to be the shit. I don't care what size my ass is. That's just who I am. And 30 seconds later, some dude <laughs> pulls over in his truck on the side of the road trying to get my number. <laughs> now, do I care about this guy? No. I mean, dudes need to not be doing that kind of thing. It's gross. <laughs> but it felt like a little bit of reinforcement from the universe that was like, see, you just don't go on that spiral. You don't allow that to happen anymore. You've decided that that's not how you're going to be and you're not going to be that. And so it just felt like maybe the universe was like, I told you, you're fine. Just like you yeah. said. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. And I think it's so important. I'm really glad you told it because it's such an important thing to remember that this is a practice. This is a practice. This is not a one and done because our old habituated negative self-talk, like that's still going to happen, right? And things are going to change and maybe you're going to be really great, but then you're going to get pregnant and then your body's going to change or you're going to get older. We're always going to make that decision to mm -hmm. choose to turn off that voice in our head and choose to make a choice. I'm going to accept myself in this moment. If I can't love myself yet, at least I can accept myself in this moment. Tell Felicia to, to shut the hell up. <laughs> it's a practice practicing for the rest of your life. As much as I would like to say, do these five things and problem solved. Anybody that tries to sell you that is a liar. They're a liar. They're a liar. <laughs> They're trying to take your money. Don't listen to them. There's always going to be somebody out there that you're their flavor. <laughs> always, 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 always. No matter how much you think you're too X fill in the blank. There are a lot of people out there who think you are just right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Tangia, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today to come and to talk to us. This has been fantastic. Is there anything that you, how can we support you? How can we stay in touch with you? Please let us know. I'm going to share links to your podcasts and to your website, but if there's anything in addition that you want us to know about, please, this is your moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. The end of the year, I tend to like start releasing new stuff just to see what lands and what works. So I'll just say, I'll give you the heads up. My website is getting a complete refresh. So it still works. You can contact me through that, but it's it's a little out of date. So don't look too hard there. But if you follow me on Instagram, by the end of this week, I'm releasing my new Body Confidence for Life guide. It's a quick downloadable ebook with, it's free. It's, you know, the simple steps of really leaning into your, your confidence and feeling good in your body. Some of the strategies that we talked about here today, just to get you started, it's a good premiere to just start thinking about it and, and starting to put some basic actions into place. And this week, I am also launching my new online store, the Free Body Society. Ooh, I love that. Com. Free Body and Society. <laughs> yes, yes. The Free Body Society, <laughs> built around the concept that women should feel powerful and free in their bodies. So it's, I like to call them wearable statements about feeling good in your body. So it's t-shirts and accessories coming soon. That'll be just in time for Christmas. It'll launch by the end of this week. Well, technically it's launched now, but new things are going on the site for the rest of the week. So, but you can go there now, check it out, freebodysociety.com. Just follow me on Instagram. I always announce the new stuff there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to double check and I will send an email to everyone um, so they have it. But you're Tangia Renee on Instagram, right? Yes. All right. I can't wait to, I want that body confidence guide. So I'm really excited to download that. <laughs> so everyone, please follow Tangia, stay in touch, download that body confidence guide, support her new store. And then also there was a request in the chat, your cash app, your Venmo. If anybody wants to make a love donation, what works best? Oh, I'm Tangia Renee in all the places, Venmo, Instagram, Twitter. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you so, well, so much, Francesca, you. and for, for everybody. My pleasure. I, I definitely hope that there was some helpful information here. And just know you can reach out to me at any time. I get DM'd a lot on Instagram when people just have like a quick, I have a question about this, or I just, I just, I'm having a moment today. Feel free to do that. It happens all the time. I'm happy to be a support in any way that I can. Incredible. Well, I thank you so much. And on behalf of the entire True Love Society, we all thank you. You shared so much wisdom and I learned some things today and I'm sure everyone else did. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations again, mama. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting to like say it. I don't know. I, I didn't do a big announcement. I just like told people. Then everyone's like, well, when are you doing the announcement? I was like, well, when I told you, isn't that the announcement? <laughs> I don't know what, what proper pregnancy protocol is. So <laughs> yes, yes. Amazing. And thank you all, my True Love Society members. You are fantastic. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And there you have it, my conversation with Tangier Renee Estrada inside of the True Love Society. Thank you for listening. Let me know how you liked the episode and please check out the True Love Society. You can find us at thetruelovesociety.com and you can learn more. It's only $9.99 a month to be a member and you can cancel your membership at any time. And we've got lots of cool things coming up, lots of events just for my members. So join us. We'd love to have you. And please stay in touch with the podcast. I am at Dear Franny on Instagram and Twitter and all the places. And the podcast is at Dear Franny Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love hearing from you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for those of you who have taken the time to subscribe and to rate the show and to review the show. I see you. I appreciate you so much. And if you have any friends who you think would benefit from the show and any of the topics that we discuss, please go ahead and share this episode or any other really appreciate it. It helps to grow the listenership of the show. So thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you. Have a beautiful day. Until next time.